This is episode number 129 of Patrick Jones Baseball. And on this episode, we have Bo Martino. Bo is a pitching coach at Stephen F. Austin University. He has been on a grind for a very long time um, of being a college coach and shares that in this episode of all the states and schools that he has been at and just kind of gives you a background a little bit on what it really takes to to become a college coach. We also get into motivating players in this episode and you know how Bo likes to motivate his players on a day-to-day basis, um, what he looks for for potential high school recruits, how to use Rapsodo for pitchers. And just an overall, I think, just great interview by by someone who's extremely smart um, in this industry, in the college game, and I think he's going to bring a lot of value to a lot of different people. So, now on the mound, Bo Martino. All right, and we are now live with Bo Martino, who is the pitching, who's the pitching coach at Stephen F. Austin uh, University. Bo, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. So I know um, we were just talking. You're in Texas right now. It's extremely hot. Uh, yep. What do you do throughout the summertime? So one of our big things that with being the volunteer um, and not having the third assistant pass yet is we do a lot of tournaments, um, a lot of evaluation camps or whatever you have to call them. Um, things like that. And I do a lot of lessons. So just about every weekend at our place, uh, we have some type of event going on, whether it's somebody running a tournament, uh, us putting on our own, having kids come in for us for eval camps or having lessons going on or something. So that's kind of how I have to make my income um, is doing that. So my summer is actually really busy. How how is the summer baseball in, in your eyes? I know you're clearly there all the time watching all these tournaments. Um, are there any ways you think it could be more beneficial to the players? I think the focus has kind of gone more into playing more games and more tournaments and so forth than more of the development side of things. Um, I feel like you can do both. And I feel like sometimes because it's summer and kids don't have to go to school that we're worried more about having six five and six day tournaments and we go all over the country and play um, instead of necessary, maybe, Hey, let's sit down. Let's practice a little bit. Let's go over what we're actually trying to do instead of just going out and playing games. Now uh, we were just talking before um, off the call. I know you, you're at Stephen F. Austin right now, but you were at mm-hmm. Cedar Cedarville university for two years as well. Just yep. going through your, your coaching background and kind of mm-hmm. like how you got to where you're at. Can you just kind of yeah. give everyone a brief overview? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I played baseball and graduated from East Texas Baptist university, went there for four years, um, graduated with, uh, with Kenise, um, got out and coached high school for five years. Um, and then was lucky enough to get an opportunity to actually coach at ETBU as the pitching coach and do a little bit of strength and conditioning stuff there. Um, our head coach, um, after that year was actually let go. He had been there for six. So in the process, I was not retained. So at that point I had to figure out what I had to do. Struggle. It was late in the summer. I ended up going back doing high school for about three months, um, and realized, man, this is not for me after being spoiled coaching at the college level and being able to recruit and stuff. So I actually started my master's. I was living in Houston, um, started working at Top Golf, and started my master's. Was there um, basically from October into 
until May. And then we actually, I moved to Nacogdoches. Me and my wife got married and uh, we both started um, our master's in at SFA and was at SFA for two years. Left there, went to Letourneau University for a year. Then I went to Northeast Texas Community College. I was there for a semester. Our head coach decided to go uh, coach some pro ball. So I actually found a full-time gig at Cedarville. I moved to Ohio, was there for a year and a half, and then was lucky enough that Coach Carnanius over at SFA asked me to come back and didn't hesitate having a, a child at that point and being close to family. It was a no-brainer, and we absolutely love Nacogdoches and really consider this to be kind of our hometown now. What's it like traveling all over the place, coaching college baseball, not knowing how long you're going to be in a city or um, with a team? You know, that's it can be scary at times because there's a lot of unknown that you never know. You could walk into the office the next day and your head coach is gone and you got to pack up and find something to do. But I kind of knew that's what I signed up for. And luckily, um, my wife understands that and supports all that and does a phenomenal job of keeping everything um, at the house under control and keeping me in line. And, um, you know, moving to Ohio, I was actually up there for five months when uh, my wife stayed down in Texas. And uh, I can now say if I recruit a kid and he is outside of our state and he has to make a big move, I can say, man, I know what it's like. Um, I was willing to pack up and move 14 hours away from home to go coach. Um, I don't have a hard time asking a kid to do the same thing at that point because I understand it's out. It could be outside your comfort zone, but it's it's very doable, and I would do it again in a heartbeat. So, what would be like? What's one of your goals in coaching? You know, a lot of people when I first started it was like, "Man, I want to coach at the Division One level. I want to do you know things like that." But really, what it comes down to, man, is I always want to be at somewhere that I enjoy being. Um, if, if you're going to work every day and your coach is berating you and the kids, you don't have a good rapport with them, you can't stand the administration, you can't stand the town you're in, you're going to be miserable no matter what level you're at. So really, it's just to continue to work um, at a place that I love to be at, that I really, truly feel that our coaching staff and everybody's kind of on the same page. Um, and really, my goal is just to continue to get better to hopefully help the players out. I mean, if that turns into I'm at a D1, D2, D3, pro ball, whatever. Um, I don't think that's the focus is more as can, where can I help kids the most um, and be successful that way. Throughout your coaching journey, are there is there a particular maybe like a time when, when a particular coach kind of mentored you or um, someone that you kind of learned under throughout the throughout the way? Yeah, actually. So after I got out of high school and went into um when I was started coaching at East Texas Baptist University, I got there and our head coach, Sam Blackman, was like, hey, man, there's there's some cool pitching stuff going on. I've got a buddy that you need to go talk to. He's at Weatherford College. His name is Flint Wallace. And uh, so I called Flint up, said, hey, man, can I come down and uh, just kind of pick your brain on some things? And Flint said, absolutely. So I drove to Weatherford, which is about three hours away from Marshall. And um, I think I spent probably three and a half hours or so there with Flint and Flint just opened my eyes to a whole new world of pitching. Um, and obviously he's at the Texas baseball ranch now um, doing a phenomenal job down there, but he kind of opened the door to let me know that there's, you know, we talk about the old school versus new school, that there's more out there to learn. 
the, just the drills that you used to do when you were in high school and, and learning how to pitch. And uh, that kind of got sparked up. He said, man, you've got to get down to the ranch at some point for the coach's boot camp. Um, I went down that December, found the money, got down there. And, man, it just opened my eyes. And since then, it's been a nonstop process of just trying to learn and being open-minded and trying to get better. Um, I, I, I saw you were, you went to on base U, which is awesome. And it mm-hmm. seems like you guys down at, um, Stephen F. Austin are, are really progressive in how you coach p- pitchers and things of that nature. But what do you look for when you guys are bringing in pitchers as a potential recruit? Is it velocity? Is it projectability combination of both? Like what, what is it that you look for, um, from a pitching standpoint as at a possible recruit? Yeah, I mean, obviously, velocity catches your eye. It's the easiest thing to just go out and see. You don't have to have a radar gun a lot of times to know a kid's throwing the fuzz off of it. Um, But we also are trying to look for guys that have a little bit of pitchability. And to us, it means can they throw more than one pitch for a strike? Um, We feel like, hey, if you've got two pitches that you can throw for a strike, fastball changeup, whatever it may be, you know, maybe you're you're a bullpen guy at that point. If you're a guy that throws three or four pitches with a considerable strike rate, Man, that, that, that could be a guy that could be a conference starter for us. And then you have a little bit below with it, and that's going to be a game changer at that point. So we look for guys that can control multiple pitches, um, that kind of have a little bit of feel for the game, you know, knowing when to throw stuff. Um, is he just fastball heavy and then flips the 0-2 breaking ball in every time? Or is he able to pitch backwards a little bit? So we have to read those kind of things. We're not a power five school. We're not going to be able to go out to a perfect game event, see a guy throwing 96 and be able to sign him on the spot. It's not going to happen. And so what we have to do is we have to do a really good job of finding those guys that maybe are getting passed up a little bit. We got to find the good things about them. And, you know, just recently uh, with all the spin rate stuff and having rap Soto now, we can actually get guys on the rap Soto when they come to our camps and stuff and start to look at them and do a little bit different light. Maybe they're 84 to 86, but they got a high spin rate. Maybe that's a guy we can take a chance on because other guys are going to pass up on him. It's like, ah, Velo's okay, but he's not that 90-mile-an-hour arm. Well, that's a guy that we can go after and, and maybe develop into getting some Velo and, and teaching him how to pitch even more. Is that is that the way to go about it these days, is to just go to a prospect camp at a college that you're interested in? You know, it's I think it's different for every kid. Um, if you're an elite arm, somebody everybody's going to find you. That's going to be easy because, you know, the radar gun is going to be up. You're going to get invited to all these showcases and tournaments and so forth. But I feel like a lot of times going to eval camps or just going to tournaments that are actually on a college campus um, is a really good way to be found because guys are locked in only on your game at that point. They're not trying to go to 15 fields in the Metroplex trying to find a kid. They're on you're on their field. And so their eyes are trained to see. 56 games, you know, half of them are on their field during the, uh, a division one year. And so now we can say, Hey, that kid's pretty good. He, he throws well, and you can start to build a relationship with that kid then than being lost in a shuffle that maybe it's a tournament with 70 plus teams. And you're not going to be able to see all 70 teams in a whole week. Um, so it's a little bit more, um, you know, down to where it's more intimate between that player and the coach then. Um, and I think it's a little bit easier to reach out and get seen. Yeah, I was down in Georgia uh, for the WWBA coaching down there, and there was, mm-hmm. I think, almost 400 teams down there. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea how just organized or 
it's if it's just a crapshoot. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. it's not a crapshoot, but I mean, yeah. from like a college coach's standpoint, you have to already know who you're going to go see down there. Absolutely. I mean, if you're going to have emails from coaches that you trust and so forth, say, hey, you need to come watch number 21. Well, I'm going to go out and watch that kid. I'm watching number 21, and maybe I see somebody in that same game for the other team, but I'm not going to be able to go watch 21 and watch all 400 teams that weekend. Um, and so that's why I think was if it's more of an intimate tournament and one that's more on, um, you know, a college field, it's a little bit easier to kind of stand out than maybe at in front of 400. And I'm, it's nothing against per game to do a fantastic job of getting kids exposure and stuff. But I just know at the division one level with us still only having three coaches that can go out recruit guys really got to lock in to know exactly to take, you know, the most of their time and, and get it, get it going. So. What about uh, recruiting videos? What do you think of that? I'm a big fan um, of getting recruiting videos in because our, our coaching staff watches all the recruiting videos that come in. Does that mean that we respond to every single kid? No. Um, we'll get 20, 30, 40 plus sometimes in a day, but we'll watch them. And what that allows us to do is kind of see that kid and say, hey, there's something in there I see. Now when we go watch him, we can watch for those things and – we see it. Okay, now we're good. If you just go watch a kid randomly and he goes one for four at the plate with three walks, well, that one at bat might not have been enough. Uh, maybe it was just a little a blooper over the right, you know, over the second baseman's head. Compared to, hey, I'm looking. I've seen his swing in practice or off a tee or BP or whatever, and now I saw that same swing in that one for four game. Boom! Now I know. Um, compared to just going out and hoping I see him put a couple of good at bats together. So I'm a big fan of them. Um, I think a lot of times you got to be careful on using some of the services out there. I think a lot of guys can do the same with just getting their iPhone and getting their mom and dad and helping them learn how to do it on the computer and just kind of cutting and pasting some stuff together. Um, but I think there's also guys out there that are um, a lot of organizations that'll do that for their kids um, instead of trying to make a couple hundred bucks off of it. So yeah, that's that's. I'm glad you brought that up. That was going to be yeah. my next point. I mean, is it necessary for anyone out there listening to go and find someone to pay to do that for? I don't believe so. Um, there are, you know, some services out there that probably are not trying to rip kids off. I, I don't know. My kid's one years old, so we're not in the recruiting process yet. Uh, maybe next year. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think you can do a lot of the same stuff with just an iPhone or a cheap camera borrow a radar gun from somebody maybe your coach has one at high school and kind of put some stuff together on your own get some game footage here and there and and piece it together i i kind of think that a lot of some of the recruiting services um it's more of it saves you time because you're not having to cut the video and do all that and then really find all these coaches emails but all the coaches emails are pretty much free if you'll go on the website and look for so if you do a little bit man you can really Kind of instead of sending it out to all 297 D1 schools and all the D2 schools, you can kind of make it more personalized to where you where you're going to fit. Like I'm not going to get into Harvard at any point. I'm not going to send it to there. I'm not smart enough to get in there. So I'm going to kind of get down to where I fit in academically, who has my major, things like that, and focus that route instead of just sending it to a bunch of people. Doing your that's homework. my thought. Yeah, that's my that's my feel on it. I think kids should kind of pick um, uh, kind of a three categories of schools. 
your dream schools, get a couple of your dream schools, get a couple in the middle of road schools. Like, man, I like that school. I could see myself playing ball there. And then maybe pick a couple that you're like, you know what? It's not my number one choice school. Um, but it, if, if they offer me to play baseball and they would take me, I, I could go there, you know, and you start to kind of put everything in those three buckets. And so now you pick a couple of dream schools, maybe it's three to five, three to five of your, of your middle, like, Hey, I'd really like that school. And then some of your kind of your lower tier schools that, yeah, I'd go there if I had to, you know, kind of deal and start to reach out in those three buckets. If you don't hear back from somebody in that bucket, you can replace somebody else into there. And so now instead of putting all your bats or putting everybody in one bucket at the top that all your dream schools, you know, Vanderbilt, I'm going to TCU, Vandy, UCLA, all these schools. And now it's August and none of the schools have got back to you. Well, at least now we have some things covered between JUCOs and D1s and twos and threes and NAIs. And you got a little bit going and you can find the best fit for you. And then instead of making that judgment late, just because one school showed you some interest really late. Yeah, actually, I hear your son in the background right now. Is he playing, playing baseball already? He, man, he just got out of the bathtub. It's bedtime for him. So he's trying to watch some cartoons and hopefully go to sleep soon. So, <laughs> um, but uh, back on the, the recruiting side of it, mm-hmm. one of the things that I've heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, okay. is uh, it, you know, you guys get so many generic emails, right? And it's, mm-hmm. it yep. means a little bit more. Again, correct me if I'm wrong. If someone goes on there and be like, oh, Bo, like I see like you are, you, you majored in kinesiology from East Texas Baptist University. I'm interested in doing the same thing. Um, you, you know, could you, t- you know, just something like mm-hmm. where they did some sort of homework. Does that actually play any type of role or am I just. No, I, it does. It does because believe it or not, we'll get emails every once in a while that it's the wrong school. It's the wrong coach's name. Um, and you can tell a lot of times some of them are generic. Like I really like your program. Could, would love to play there. Well, Okay, that doesn't that you could have done that to everybody and just changed the name of the school at the beginning. Um, so definitely always make sure the coach's name is right, spelled right, and it's the correct school. Um, we've we've got an email before that was to another um, school in our conference, and they sent it to us. And um, you know, we didn't know if we needed to make a phone call for them over to that school and say, "Hey, this guy's interested," or what what needed to happen. But you know, those are kind of the ones that they they get deleted or put in that trash folder pretty quick because the guy doesn't even take 10 seconds to proofread and make sure everything's good. How is he going to be able to do that in the classroom? So, yeah. And that's the thing. And I think you brought out, you've made this point is it's, it takes some work to get recruited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It's, it's not an easy thing. It's, it's called recruiting. It's not just go out and just sign. Hey, I want to play here. Yep. Okay. Come on. It doesn't happen like that. Um, there's a lot of things that go into being recruited, you know, finding the right school. Making sure they have your major, making sure you get along with the coaches, you know, all those kind of things. And if you would sit down and spend some time daily, even if it's 10 minutes a day, that you're just kind of looking at one school a day and trying to figure, I mean, it makes it a lot easier at the end of the day when you, and you go on that recruiting visit, you know, questions to ask now, instead of just, yeah, we'll get back to you later. So now you're, you're prepared when you get on campus and you can get a lot more things answered. And maybe that's the difference is you get that thing answered in person with that coach instead of having to go through the admissions department or somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know earlier we, we, you were talking about rap Soto and mm-hmm. how you guys have it and have some of your prospects come on and use it. Mm-hmm. What, like, 
Have you, what changes do you make to a pitcher, their delivery or mechanics or just anything when you, based off of what you see off of that um, device? Yeah. So really with the Rap Soto, um, we actually just got our second one in last week. So we we're able to kind of now double bullpen guys, which speeds everything up. But we're, we're going to look at the spin rate on fastballs first. Um, and really all that's going to tell us if they're lower, higher average. And that allows us now to know what that pitcher is already capable of where he's at. So if he's a high spin rate guy, maybe we're going to work up in the zone a little bit more. The low spin rate guy, we're going to work down in the zone. If he's average, we're going to try to make that fastball move a little bit more. Maybe it needs to be more of a two-seam kind of deal. And so that allows us just to know who that pitcher needs to be to be successful. Maybe we don't have to even change mechanics to allow them to do those things. So that right there is just it's just really simple. You just do a little bit of math real quick, spin rate divided by miles per hour, get some Bauer units, and you kind of can go from there. And then we're able to just look at what pitches might match up with that. If it's a guy that throws up in the zone, um, he maybe need to throw more of a 12 to 6 breaking ball, something that has a little bit more vertical depth to it. He needs to be down in the zone. He's a low spin rate guy. Maybe he needs something that moves more horizontal like a slider. So we can now see if that kid's throwing a curveball, but he needs to throw down in the zone. Those aren't going to match up very well. Um, so we can just kind of start to tinker with those with grips and, and what we're trying to do. And we haven't even talked to mechanics really at this, this point. We're just trying to make them be successful with who they are um, and then go from there and try to make them better off of that. So it's really just it really comes down to it helps you determine what location and pitch that the pitcher should be throwing, not necessarily mechanics at all. Right. That's that's the basics. Obviously, you can get more into some mechanical stuff that maybe you're trying to do. Hey, when we use our legs more, your velo jumps or you, you, you know, you get more horizontal or vertical movement when you do this. Yes, we can get to that point. Um, but the basic thing that we're going to kind of start out with is we're going to base everything on what their fastball is, uh, because we can kill spin on a fastball, uh, but we can't make it spin harder unless we're putting some foreign substance on there. And that's kind of frowned upon. So, you know, we we're going to try to find who that guy is and make him the most successful pitcher of, with who he is and then try to kind of redefine some of the secondary pitches and so forth. And then we'll hammer out some mechanics at that point. Hey, if we get down on those legs a little bit more. I see a little bit more zip. Maybe there's a little bit more vertical ride on it and more horizontal movement when you stay through it. And we just kind of play around with it. It's kind of a trial and error deal. Um. Speaking of foreign substance, uh, how often would you say guys do that um, on a regular basis? Man, honestly, at our level, if they do it, they they do a really good job of hiding it because I haven't really suspect, suspected any of it. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Um, so I, I, I'm not too aware of it. I'm, I'm sure there's some there can be some going on and there can be some incidental stuff. Maybe the guy's chewing gum and licks his fingers in between pitches. Maybe that's enough sugar in his saliva to get a little bit more spin rate. I don't know. Uh, but I'm not seeing a, a whole ton of it. I know a couple of times this year we've had some balls that got fouled off. off. Somebody got fisted on the handle, and our pitcher got it back, and there was pine tar on the ball because it got it, it hit lower on that handle. And they're throwing it back in the dugout. I'm going, oh, that was your chance. But, um, you know, <laughs> to get away with it, you didn't do it on purpose. It came from the bat. But our guys are throwing them back out. So I don't even think our guys would use them at this point, to be honest with you, because they're get that ball out of here, get the ball with the cut out of here. So I was like, Oh, okay, cool. What's what, what would be the rule on that? If they were to get caught, is it thrown out immediately? I don't know if it's an actual ejection or, or what would go on. Cause it just, at our level, man, you're just really, 
I haven't seen it happen before. I've never gone out and said, Hey, will you check and see if that pitcher had somebody do it with us? So I would imagine that they're probably be removed from the game and just like a regular ejection, probably had to sit out for the next game or something. So how often do you see people trying to steal signs? All the time. All the time. Do you look it for happens. that? Do you look for that regularly? Oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we, we're trying to see if people are tipping off of us. And, you know, we, we have some predetermined kind of sets of pitches that we go through with our, our that our catchers can, can change with that pitcher pretty, uh, pretty quickly. So we don't have to make mound visits since we're limited to the amount of mound visits we can make now. Um, so we kind of have some predetermined things that we can switch it up a little bit quicker. Uh, but yeah, it definitely happens. And to be honest, a lot of times I feel like it's kind of on the defenses. It's their fault. Um, if, if we're getting really lazy with letting people look in our glove at our grips or gripping ball behind our back before we come set, I mean, that's a real quick, easy fix. Um, I feel like you just you start to be lazy. And that's one thing we definitely look at, especially during inner squads early on in the year. Um, we're looking for things like that, then our guys might be tipping so we can tell them, Hey, here's what's going on. We, we gotta, we gotta nip this now before it gets to the season. Um, so what are some of the ways that you, if someone steals your signs, what are some Mm -hmm. of the ways that that you've seen them try to relay it to the hitter? Oh gosh. It, I mean, the obvious way is just, you know, either at second base or, from the dugout they have a call signal or you know back when like you we were nine years old and your dad would sit in the stands and go hey here we go bobby and that was fastball if you said your number it's curveball i mean it can be that basic and there's there's obviously other ways that are a lot more in depth that they've got it relayed to one guy and he relays it to another guy or it could just be the guy at second base um looking back at the bag or his hands are down in front of him or out to the side it can be a bunch of different things there's there's a bunch of ways out there that people do it and i'm sure everybody does it a little bit differently so does your pitcher have the uh uh go ahead to hit somebody if they if he catches them with having the signs no our deal is going to be quit doing it quit tipping them <laughs> that's that's going to be because that's on us like i said earlier that's that's just us being lazy and not pay attention to the game we're just kind of zero tunnel vision in here. We, we've really got to lock into a little bit more than just throwing pitches. We got to learn how to pitch. And that comes down to making sure we're not tipping pitches, making sure we're quick to the plate, you know, things like that. And we, you see it more with some of the younger guys coming in, the freshmen and so forth that in high school, that doesn't go on near as much. And we, you know, you get them in an inner squad game and, Maybe we'll tip to some hitters for a while. And I, Coach, I'm just getting hit. It's like, well, yeah, we tipped every single one of your pitch. How? And they're like, <laughs> oh, well, okay, maybe I do need to change at that point. So we use it as a teaching moment too. Um, but really, we don't get mad at the guys. That's on us. That's on us for not doing our job either as coaches or as players and, and getting on to those guys and telling them what's going on. So That's a good point. My next, uh, my next thing I kind of want to talk about, and, and everyone's had their experience with it as a coach or as a player, but uh, dealing with the yips, how do how do you, mm-hmm. as a coach, how do you how do you deal with that? We've we've seen some, um, that's for sure. Um, you know, it's it's really, in my opinion, I think it's more of a mental block for guys than a physical block, um, because most of the guys have not had it and just been fine, and then something happens along there with somehow something through the brain is not functioning correctly. Um, so we try to actually make them think less 
to see if they'll revert back to you. So I've actually had a guy, had a lefty. Um, so when he would go to play catch, it, it was bad. And uh, so we would make him step opposite footed to try to throw. So now he was, his thought was more about stepping with the wrong foot and trying to throw mm. than what the arm action was doing. So we just try to, you know, mix it up like that. Or maybe with a lefty, for instance, they don't turn a whole lot of double plays growing up because they don't play middle infield. So maybe we just toss him a ball and make him act like he's a second baseman and throw it to the catcher. We just try to get him out of his own head um, and see if that that helps with him. So that's interesting. Have you ever has there ever been a situation where you just you can't pitch him ever again because they they've never been able to fix it? Yeah, we we've had that before. That you know we, we work on it. We we get in bullpens. We let them throw and okay, hey, well, it, it looks a little bit better, man. That, look, that looks great. That looks great. And then we get him in the inner squad, and it comes right back. Um, and, and so then it's kind of, all right, well, we, he's not ready yet. We got to get him farther separated away from what he's doing and just let him play the game and, and quit thinking. And it's, it's kind of a cat and mouse game and trial and error trying to figure out what that is. And it, it's frustrating for the kid more than anybody. Um, and it's difficult as a coach when you feel like you can't, physically help a player and you're trying everything you can. And, you know, I've made some phone calls to some coaching buddies before. So, Hey man, you got any tips? Um, I've read some stuff on Twitter before about the yips and trying to, I mean, everything I can, just so if it happens, uh, we can try to get them back on track. But yeah, it's, it's happened before that a guy wasn't able to pitch the rest of the year because I mean, it was nowhere close to the strike zone. So have you ever seen it from a position player? Um, I have not. I haven't seen any knoblocks out there. Um, I know he had it at one, at one point, and uh, we, we haven't really had it from that um, to that degree where it's just really bad. We've had some guys that um, balls consistently pull somebody off the bag, but not like it's going you know five rows deep in the parking lot or anything like that. And, and that was more of, in that case, a mechanical deal. They were getting a little sped up getting out of their legs and uh, we just kind of focused on getting down their legs and they were good. I wouldn't really call it the a full yips as more of a mechanical breakdown. They were just speeding up too fast on themselves. Yeah. I've had that a couple of times and um, literally the worst, worst feeling in the, in the entire world. Um, what, the last thing I wanted to really talk to you about is yeah. talking about like motivating your players, because I think a lot of times people think, uh, you know, a higher level player, like a division one college player at a school mm-hmm. that you're at, that everyone just is obsessed with getting better, is willing to do all the work that it takes. But that's not always the case. No. Um, what, like, how do you specifically motivate players to reach their potential or to help the team more? Really, what you have to do is you have to kind of have a rapport with every player, and everybody's a little bit different. And if you can find a way, um, to kind of connect with them or what motivates them. Um, it makes it a little bit easier to do when you're trying to help somebody. Um, if you just kind of try to generalize everybody and put them into one bucket, um, then some things don't motivate one guy like it does another guy. Maybe some guys are, man, we're all trying to get drafted. Well, there's another guy's like, I know I'm not getting drafted. That's not going to get me any better. I just want to finish my college year out, get my degree, have fun, play baseball, and try to help my guys win. Um, so then you have to find something what's what's a little bit different for him. Maybe it's his his grandma loves to watch him play. So hey man, if you if we get better, grandma can see you because you're coming out of the pen a lot more often. Um, it's just really trying to connect with guys and see what motivates them or what they feel that they struggle with or what they're good at, 
and just giving them some praise on those things and and just individualizing how you treat everybody. And I think that's that's tough because of how many players you have on the team. Yeah, absolutely. It is. I um, mean, that's something you, you sometimes you get lost in there. You get a busy week. You have you have two midweeks and a three game series on the weekend and you got Monday off and you're trying to just come in the office and get caught up on either some stats or looking back through some video or something. And next thing you know, Tuesday, you're playing the game. Wednesday, you're playing the game. Thursday, you're traveling. You're on the bus. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're playing again. Um, and sometimes you have to kind of just step back like, whoa, hey, we got to get back to the basics of, of what are we trying to do here and, and go back and just I got to connect with my guys and make sure that each one is individually getting what they need and just saying, hey, today we're throwing bullpens. Let's go. Um, I think once you start to kind of individualize a little bit more, those guys feel that you care because um, we do care. They always don't feel like that, maybe, but we do. Um, and we care about them more as people. And just kind of finding those things with them and, and having those talks. And sometimes you just got to, sometimes it doesn't even have to be about baseball. Sometimes you just be like, man, what do you want them to do when you grow up, man? How's your family? You know, how's, how's grandma doing? I know a couple of weeks ago, man, you had to, you had to leave practice early because she was in the hospital. It's just things like that sometimes. And once they know you care, it's a little bit easier to find out more from them. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff right there. Bill, really appreciate you coming on today, man. Yeah, that was um, absolutely. awesome stuff. And again, we'll, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Anytime you need anything, just just holler at me. Awesome.